Welcome to this Texas Sports Nation podcast, Texans edition. I'm Brooks Cabina, Texans beat reporter. We're joined by columnist Brian T. Smith. You can follow us at B. Cabina, and he's at Cron Brian Smith. Brian, we are a week removed from rookie minicamp, and the Texans had an off week this week as they move into OTAs next week. And we've got some time to really dig into these rookies and consider all of the movers and shakers that are going in as they go into the veteran camp. Uh, Veterans coming back next week. They'll start Tuesday. We've also had a week to digest the schedule release. It was interesting getting a chance to see exactly who they'd open up with. They got the Colts opening up, and they've never lost to the Colts in a week one home matchup. So uh, just to kind of start off, maybe from your perspective and takeaway whenever you got to see the full 17 it's favorable i mean like no, number one now granted the texans started with jacksonville last year won that game and then their season was an absolute disaster overall but if we're going to operate on the assumption that this team should be a little better next year and be more cohesive and have a little better talent and i mean tyrod taylor obviously was not the problem the first couple games he actually was way better than anybody expected but if Davis Mills is solid and the defense is a little better, the offensive line is a little better, you're playing at home, et cetera, et cetera, should Indy beat them officially? Yes. Does Indy have clear issues? Yes. What's what's Matt Ryan going to do? You know, is will, will Davis Mills outplay Matt Ryan? That That's kind of cool, right? That's kind of fun and something positive and interesting to talk about. You're going to Denver. Denver is a winnable game. You're going to Chicago. Chicago is a winnable game. You're hosting the Chargers. I would say, bam. They're losing that game, but you know what? If memory serves, they played a pretty good game against Justin Herbert and the Chargers last year, and then, oh, you're at Jacksonville. That's a winnable game. Then you have a bye week. 5-0? and Is 5-0 and possible for the 2022 Texans? Of course not. But things, you know, optimism, a new clean slate, a new era starts to change the outlook. If they start 1-4, and four, no one will be shocked. But you look at this schedule, and it doesn't look as daunting as last year. I've also been around long enough and deal with this every year. The schedule on paper is never what you think it's going to be because there are injuries, there is change. It, it is such a week-to-week league, but no way around it. It's fun to have something to talk about in late May for the Texans, and the schedule looks a little more promising than last year did. On December 4th, the Cleveland Browns are scheduled to come to NRG Stadium, so that's the time that a lot of people have circled to see Deshaun Watson in his possible return to the team he was once a franchise quarterback for his legal situation is still ongoing and uh, reports are that the NFL has started to meet with him and might come down with a decision uh, sometime soon maybe before the season maybe before the litigation comes to an end so there'll be more clarity on that probably by the end of the summer but I agree with you there's a lot of these games um, that seem like they they could be toss-ups there are a lot of these rebuilding teams that they'll be facing uh, Chicago's on the verge of it. They've got their uh, franchise quarterback and Justin Fields and others. And then there's a lot of first-year head coach teams as well. So the Texans will have a good idea of where they are in their rebuild process throughout that season. But also last week, whenever rookie minicamp began, um, we also got a chance to see all of the rookies, then including the undrafted free agents. And I know this doesn't raise any eyebrows, but I did want to touch on a few of the undrafted free agents that I thought were interesting looking out there. And honestly, it kind of hits on uh, the safeties because I think those are some of the most talented that they brought in. They brought in three safeties and Jacoby Francis. He's from Memphis, from Oklahoma State, Colby, Harvell Peel, 
and then Sam Houston stays Tristan McCollum. These guys, all of them had at least two interceptions or at least that many turnovers and forced fumbles. Um, they're all players who played at a significant level within their leagues. Uh, Sam Houston State's been a powerhouse for a while. They're always in it in the playoffs. Memphis played significant football in uh, the American Athletic Conference. Jacoby Francis was a part of the Memphis team that you know played pretty well over the past couple of years in the American Athletic Conference, and he had two uh, six interceptions across his career. I, I do think probably the most significant out of those three is Colby Harvell Peel, who at Oklahoma State had 10 interceptions across three seasons. I mean, it, it all hits basically upon the note that Lovey Smith has been singing ever since he became defensive coordinator for the Texans. He wants to create turnovers. He wants to create plenty of them and give the ball back. He's always preached takeaways and uh, I think it's interesting this year because they they really did focus on the defense within their top three picks uh, out of the nine that they eventually used to draft players. Obviously, number three overall and Derek Stingley Jr., cornerback out of LSU. And then at number 37 overall, Jalen Petrie, safety out of Baylor. Both of those guys can really change the way that they play defense. And uh, I think it's interesting. It seems every time I ask Lovey Smith about his defense schematically, there's that defensive kind of response to it saying, well, we're more than just a cover two team. Last week, he dropped a hint that they're going to be working on something different. Uh, they're going to try and be doing something different with the cornerbacks and safeties that they have going into next year. And just to think about that a little bit more, Derek Stingley Jr. is a man lockdown corner. He can do that. He can also play zone significantly. We talked about that when he got drafted. When you have a cornerback that can take out the top receiver, on an NFL team, you can do a lot of other things with the safeties and linebackers in the rest of the space, shifting them over, letting them uh, run in a mix of man and zone, different responsibilities, knowing that you have someone to lock down the other person in, in space, that can free you up. And it's, it's uh, something that I thought was interesting because Dave Aranda was the defensive coordinator for both Derek Stingley at LSU and Jalen Petrie at Baylor. I'm not saying that they'll probably do this, but by using someone who can lock down a receiver like that, you have that hybrid safety in Jalen Petrie, and that's what he was at Baylor at the star position who can uh, start off at the back. You can roll up to the front, play in the run fits on the edge, rush the quarterback, so many different things. And uh, it'd be interesting to see how much different uh, Lovey Smith's secondary works in function than it did last year, just because, I mean, if you look top to bottom in the depth chart of that 2021 defense it was pretty apparent why it was struggling so often and Justin Reed uh, was a talent at safety uh, but you really couldn't roll much to him or allow him to do much because there were so many other holes in the other deals so really you were just <laughs> limited in a lot of the ways that they could play defense so seeing them be in an aggressive spot next year should be interesting and it could mean that Derek Stingley is a very, very influential rookie, as as is Jalen Petrie, which you answered this earlier in your first question there, Brian. And I'm, I'm curious, just from your perspective over the Texans history, I can think of Dante Robinson being that instant rookie um, effect whenever he was drafted. Who have been in your history kind of the most notable rookies that have had a large impact once they got to the Texans? I'm going to give you a two part answer to that. Uh, n- number one. For as much as you know, I want to be in in late May, you know, more optimistic about the team this year. I will continue to have the carry the reality that, man, when you're asking this much from rookies, 
on a team in our rebuilding team that went four and thirteen last year, uh, and many you know across the NFL world are predicting it's a it's a useless prediction right now, but they're predicting the Texans will end up with a top draft pick next year. Like I think we have to, you know, it, it's a great question, but I'm going to have to continue to take that perspective because. I go back to to Bill O'Brien, the good Bill O'Brien, and he would go out of his way, Bill Belichick, uh, to point out, you know, how little rookies know and how little they can be counted on, and it really takes until your second year, you know, et cetera, et cetera, right? Some of that's cliche, some of that's coach speak, some of that is is true for a reason, and they are going to be asking, you know, theoretically, a lot out of these rookies, and just because they show well in game one doesn't mean that they'll be showing well in week eighteen. I mean, nobody has a perfect season. So I think we have to, you know, factor all that in. And, and I understand why, you know, the fans get ex- get more excited. And, and it's great. We have something positive to talk about for the Texans. But golly, you know, you start breaking this stuff down in the defense and, you know, Stingley taking on the number one receiver, not just week one, every week. That is a lot to ask. Uh, the other part of that answer is, it's happened recently. Um, you know, Kareem Jackson, and this this will be interesting. I mean, there's there might be a comparison as as we get closer to to week one, but Kareem Jackson was the number twenty overall pick out of Alabama. Dealt with some stuff in his final year. I, I, if memory serves, Nick Saban has been in the news a little recently. Um, wasn't a big fan of Kareem Jackson. You know, coming out, he thought he wasn't ready. Jackson struggled. I, you know, I, I, that was right before my time, but I covered Kareem a lot. And even in 2013 and 14 and 15, you would still hear about how rough his rookie year was, how down fans were on him. You know, we have to keep all that in perspective. I mean, we're, we're thinking Stingley's going to be awesome. We're, you're hoping he's going to be awesome. What if he's up and down? What if it? What if the last two years at LSU? You know, it, it takes him a while, and he doesn't. It doesn't really click until year two or year three. All these things factor in. JJ Watt. J.J. Watt, number 11 overall. He wasn't all pro at the start, but by the end of J.J. Watt's rookie year, and granted they were a better team, J.J. Watt had one of the greatest plays, one of the most franchise-changing plays in franchise history when the Texans made the playoffs for the first year. So Whitney Merciless was high. Brian Cushing was high. That, that's the thing. Jadamian Clowney. Jadamian Clowney barely played his rookie year, but Jadamian Clowney was the talk of the city. You know, for the Texans 2014, Kevin Johnson had an interesting rookie year. So that's the thing. The Texans, the good Texans, as good as that it's been, they have a, a, a strong history of investing in their defense. And when the, when the Texans really started to become something, finally, in 2011 and 12, it wasn't the offense that was the core of that. It was the defense. This was a team that invested in its defense. And you go back to the Mario Williams pick, et cetera, et cetera. So... The overall fan base has been through that. There's a precedent there, and that's what's going to be so interesting to watch this year. For me, it's going to be two things. The development of Davis Mills and the offense, You know how that progresses, what they actually get out of that, and then, yeah, the defensive position, specifically the, the secondary. You have Stingley, and it's like, you know, maybe maybe they found something. Maybe Nick Casario you know, found something in this draft, and this becomes the building block for the future. Or it could easily be up and down and – you start seeing the best of Derek Stingley in year two or year three. We're going to find out. You mentioned the Kareem Jackson movie eventually made his career as a nickel safety, and now he's with the Broncos or has been. Derek Stingley coming out, the question was always not if he was ready. It was when he was going to leave, if he was going to be eligible. I mean, if it was his freshman year and he had just called it quits after 2019, he probably could have sat out and been a top five pick still 
coming through. So, I mean, it is interesting to see what kind of uh, impact all of them have top to bottom. And uh, I mean, when I when I think about the history of the Texans, too, and I think a couple of weeks ago you brought this up was that right around the draft time was I mean, they've they've been able to hit on first round picks in their in their history, as, as a lot of teams are able to do. But how deep will their draft picks hit in this 2022 draft class? And um, one of the things that they really needed was a running back and not just in Nick Casario's history as an executive, but the Texans have never picked running back higher than the second round the highest they ever spent was on ben tate in 2010 ben tate it, love me some ben tate number 58 overall only lasted a few years and then moved on but uh he had a really great rookie season that's kind of the spot that you're looking at with damian pierce coming from florida fourth round pick he's been a touchdown machine for the gators last year and uh i mean even in the history of the texans really a lot of their production from rookie uh, running backs uh, we're like third round picks. I, I'm thinking of Dominic Williams, the former Dominic Davis. You know, in 2003, he was picked uh, in the same um, draft as Andre Johnson came in and had a pretty helpful, you know, spot to the offense that was really struggling in those early years for the Texans. And then I always think of the flash in the pan with Steve Slayton, who just had a, an incredible rookie season. And it seemed like he was going to be around for a while. When you look at this offense, it's definitely what they need. Out of uh, out of the depth of their draft, and a guy like Damian Pierce can supply that in a big way. Especially, we talked about the Colts game first game of the season. I think that's going to be one of those uh, narratives for the team because Marlon Mack, who uh, used to be a really good every down back for them, uh, nearly rushed for two thousand yards in back to back seasons for the Colts before he suffered an Achilles tear in twenty twenty. And then y'all know the rest. Jonathan Taylor has had an incredible two years in the time since, how how productive will Marlon Mack be? Um, and I think that's going to be a top question going into this offseason. Does Mack become an every down back? Is he full go? Is he the same as he once was? Or does Damian Pierce have to come in and be more uh, than he was probably expected to? So I think that goes to your question there, Brian, about these rookies is how much influence are they supposed to have this year? And on a run game that was its second worst in yards per carry and really at times looked like its worst ever. Um, there's also one of those like, you know, deeper stats, as you see, there's something called second level yards. Basically it's been totaled between five to eight yards and do running backs reach that level. The Texans last year had the lowest amount of that since their history and out of all NFL teams since 2002. I mean, they just, it basically that means one, they either got to the line of scrimmage, they got tackled there, or didn't really often break a tackle and get to the second level or any linebackers or further. I mean, it just, I, I remember sitting next to John McClain, who hated a, a run up the middle that got nothing more than anyone. And it just happened all too often. So Pierce, he's going to have to do a lot, especially in the red zone, to get those touchdown numbers up. Um, we'll get a chance to see a lot more from that. And a lot of that has to do. Uh, with how their offensive play works. And Kenyon Green drafted number 15 overall. He's a mauling, brawling, defensive smashing offensive guard who did really well throughout his three years as Texas A&M. Uh, last year played four different positions. Um, it seems like they're really high on him and what he can do to bring stability to an offensive line that has lacked it ever since Bill O'Brien pursued Laramie Tunsil with uh, two first-round picks to try and uh, secure a star left tackle. So uh, we have... 
a story coming up on him in the paper on Sunday, and we will find more as we continue our coverage through this offseason training camp with the Texans as they continue to see how good they're going to be in year two of their full rebuild. We appreciate you reading, watching, and listening. You can find everything at HoustonChronicle.com and on Texas Sports Nation. I'm Brooks Cabina. You can find me at B-K-U-B-E-N-A. Brian Smith. You can find me at Cron Brian Smith. We'll see you guys next time.